time in God's word this morning. So let's go ahead and let's, let's pray. Dear gracious Father, we thank you so much for your son. We thank you so much for sending him to come and die on the cross for our sins. We thank you for this opportunity that we have to open up your word, to think about the things that are found in your word. And uh, we just ask that your spirit would be moving in our hearts. Uh, And as was said, that we may know what your word says, that we might not sin against you, that we may bring honor and glory to you, and that we would exalt your son, Jesus Christ. We just thank you for everything you've given us, and uh, just really look forward to what you have to teach us. We thank you and love you. In your son's name, amen. So, we've just finished the 30 sayings, right? The school on wisdom. Right? Solomon uh, sent us to school. And, you know, there's always that one thing that you realize uh, when you get out of school. You realize, I still have to go to classes (laughs) even after school. I I have to go to get licensing for certain things. Uh, There's been several things that I've had to go to classes for and learn. I, I remember when I was at, worked at Home Depot, I had to take a class on how to drive heavy equipment and forklifts. And I thought, I'm out of school. Why do I have to go to another class? Well, if I desire to earn extra money by driving a forklift, well, then i got to go take this class. So here's another class. Even, even, even outside of school, I, I've furthered my education by auditing classes. I still audit classes on theology just as a refresher. Uh, I even, a couple weeks ago, audited a class on the transatlantic slave trade, riveting stuff. Um, yeah, all, all, all for the sake of, yeah, I, I realize I constantly need to learn and grow, and there's always classes outside of class. And we have no exception here in the book of Proverbs, because guess what? Just go with me to Proverbs 24, notice verse 23. Notice what Solomon says There also are sayings of the wise. Now, we just went through the sayings of the wise, Solomon. We already went through classes. Guess what? We need a refresher course. We've already been through the classes. Guess what? We have four more classes this morning thinking of some of the things that are really important. Solomon really wants us to think about certain things. And remember, the book of Proverbs is teaching us how to have and cultivate the fear of the Lord. What does that look like in day-to-day life? What does that look like in every interaction that we have with our neighbors? What does that look like in in our business dealings? What what does it look like to fear the Lord? And that's what the book of Proverbs is teaching us. Every single one is is a look into how we are to act appropriately and and what the fear of the Lord looks like practically. So these classes are classes that are things that, need, that we need reminding of that this is what it looks like in a day-to-day, moment-by-moment as we live our lives. This is what it looks like to take God serious in our life. And if we take God serious in our life and we're yielding to the power of the Spirit as believers, listening to the Word, these are going to be the things that are going to be seen in our life. If we do the opposite of these things, being controlled by the flesh and sin, well, you know what to do, right? We need to repent of these things. We need to change these things. These things should not be, they, they shouldn't be allowed, right? These are things that if we see in ourselves, we need to say, I need to get rid of this. 
So, we're going to look at four more sayings this morning by God's grace. And the four sayings are going to be this. In verses 23 through 26, we're going to talk about refining our judgment, our discernment, having the right kind of judgment, to think about things correctly and make the right kind of judgment calls. We constantly need to be reminded of this truth that we need refinement in this area. Second, in verse 27, we're going to talk about how to relegate our priorities, right? So refine our judgments. We also need to relegate our priorities. We need to put the most important things first, and we need to learn how to do that. The third thing that we're going to see is, in verses 28 through 29, is that we need to respect our neighbors. We need to love our neighbors. We need to love them. We need to treat them as Christ treated us. And then lastly, in verses 30 through 34, it's about recognizing your responsibilities. God has given us certain responsibilities that we have to take care of. That's that's it. We're stewards. He's given us stuff that we have to take care of. We have to be good stewards of that. So let's kind of go through these refresher courses. Notice the first one in 23 about refining your judgment. So once again, here in, in verse 23, it starts off, These also are the sayings of the wise... It's kind of interesting that Solomon would kind of add this. Most commentators call this an appendix of just things that were kind of, I don't know, they're just left over. It it seems kind of interesting that he would say these 30 sayings and then go, oh, and here's a couple more. But that's what he's done. So I don't know if there's any great theological significance to this other than it's it's a rhetorical thing for us. We go through these 30 sayings, and, and, and maybe the human mind goes, well, now I know all that there is in wisdom of the wise sayings. And then Solomon, by doing this, teaches us, actually, there's more. <laughs> you think you know, but, but here, I'm going to remind you again. I don't know. But what's more important is what follows next. And he says, partiality in judging is not good. This word for partiality really means to recognize a face. So it's the idea of judging based off of recognized faces. It's the idea that if I recognize someone's face, I know them. I'm going to judge in a way that gives them more, right? I lean more towards this face that I recognize opposed to the face that I don't recognize. It has the idea of giving a judgment weighted based off of who somebody is. It's not thinking about a situation correctly, right? So so that's really what the word means. It means to give preferential treatment to one uh, and and to to disregard someone else. It's amazing how much in the book of Proverbs we've spent time thinking about this concept of judgment and having the right kind of judgment and making these right kind of judgment calls. It's one of those little hidden things that I didn't really expect to find in the book of Proverbs. And as I've been studying it, I've seen it more and more. And this is something that our society talks about a lot, isn't it? This idea of justice. What does it mean to be just? What does it mean to be equitable? Right? A lot of of people are calling for social justice. And so what, what is this idea of Christian justice when we think of justice? What does that look like biblically? I would say that there's a couple things that we can glean from the scriptures. We're not going to spend too much time on it, but I think it's important to remember this, that that God is not a respecter of persons, and his justice is not a respecter of persons. 
Meaning, God doesn't sit there and go, oh, well, this person is so-and-so. Therefore, since so-and-so is here, I obviously have to give them preference over someone else. The idea is there's no respecter of person. It doesn't matter where you come from. doesn't matter who your dad is. doesn't matter what title you have. Justice is justice. What is right is right. What is wrong is wrong. You're guilty or you're innocent. It shouldn't... The, the idea of who the person is that's perpetrating this shouldn't matter. Numerous times the scripture says that God is a, not a respecter of persons. And then he goes on to say that all men are equally condemned before him. We must also realize that justice is built off of revelation. The only thing that is right, that I know is right, is found in God's word. Right? This clarifies what is right and what is wrong. Everything that I believe about what is right and what is wrong must come from this book which exposes God who is the basis for what I think is right and wrong. Right? This is God's revealing of himself, of his character. So anytime I think about what is just in society, it has to first be through the lens of Scripture. Another thing that's really important is this, is yes, it must be built on scripture, but it also must care about truth. What is true? What actually happened? Man, we live in a society where it's really difficult to ascertain what has really happened. It seems like everybody shades events. And you watch this news station, you watch that news station, You go to this website, you go to this Facebook post, you go to this thing, and it's all skewed, right? Justice cares about truth. What actually happened? What actually is the truth? I think another thing that's really important is this, is that justice should be applied to the individual person, right? This is seen in the book of Ezekiel numerous times, right? Why should a son be punished for the sins of a father? Why should a father be punished for the sins of a son? Right? And what, is, what does God say in Ezekiel? Each one will receive justice based off of what they've done. I think another thing that's really important and, and something that we need to remember, all of us are sinners. All of us by nature are inju- un- unjust. We don't have a very good view of justice. We're learning what is just. So we're all flawed. And that God in the end is the righteous judge and he will right all wrongs. So I'm flawed. Everyone's flawed. So justice is obviously going to be flawed. But in the end, God will set those things right. Those are important things to think about justice. And as we're thinking about Partial justice, right, in, in a legal system. Th- those are important things. But those are also important things for, as, for us as we're thinking about situations that are going on in our community, as we're making judgment calls about certain things of which way do I go, uh, making judgment calls on people's intentions, making judgment calls throughout life. Th- th- this is important information for us to have as we're using discernment in this world. And so this idea of Partial judgment is, it's really important for us. In fact, even Jesus said to the Pharisees in John, he said, you need to have the type of judgment that is right, 
not based off of appearances. Our natural inclination is impartial justice, right? But notice what Solomon says. Notice what our teachers say. It says partial, partiality in judging is not good. Now, this sounds like this is something I would say, right? I, I feel like I, well, I would say I'm the master of it, but I'm definitely a connoisseur of understatement. I like understatement. I think it's my favorite rhetorical device. So this sounds exactly like I wrote it. If you show partiality, that's not good, right? That is a huge understatement. Of course it's not good, right? Partiality and judgment is bad. It's really bad. God doesn't like it. And as we're going to see, notice in the next verse, and it says in verse 24, whoever says to the wicked, you are in the right, will be cursed by peoples and, ab- and uh, abhorred by nations. So it's not good. God doesn't like it. It's not good ethically. It's not good biblically. Not only that, but if, if th- this is the type of par- impartial justice that's being talked about, here's somebody who's clearly guilty, and we say, I know that they're guilty, but I'm going to pronounce them as being not guilty, that's not good for a society. In fact, doesn't Paul talk about this in the book of Romans? Doesn't he talk about this truth of as people do not honor God, as they don't give thanks to God, as they're turned over to a depraved mind, that they're saying that which is bad is good and that which is good is bad and that they give hearty approval to sinfulness as a society and they celebrate those things which should not be celebrated and they punish those things which should not be punished. This is a sign of a breakdown of of a mind and of a society. Yeah, this is not good. Now we must remember that It's not just society that can have bad judgment and make bad judgment calls about people and things. We as believers can do this. We can not be thinking biblically, not be thinking about God, not have a correct sense of justice, get lean out a little bit over our skis, right, which is a saying to mean that you're going too fast and you're leaning too much and you're not going to land right, right, because you're not... So so you're going too fast. You're you're thinking things are are, are ahead of, you think you have all of your ducks in a row and you don't. We could do this. We we can be very impartial in our judgment. We can be very impartial when we think about people. We not think about people correctly. We think about them uh, and, and, and make these calls just based on outward appearance. This isn't good. It's not good ethically. I don't think God's happy when we have impartial judgment calls. But not only that, just think, look at what he says next. It says, we'll be cursed by the peoples. It's generally understood that here peoples mean the people in the community. And this idea of cursing could mean that they're just walking around uh, (laughs) saying bad things about you. It could mean that they're praying to God that God would judge you for impartial judgment. And then notice it's, hated by the nations, meaning that people inside of society, inside of our community, and those who are from other countries look at injustice that happens and they say, this is bad. 
Those are some bad people. Those are some bad things. It's sad. It's sad that this even has to be brought up. We would assume and we would hope that legal systems are built upon justice, what is right, what is true, based off of God's word. That when we make judgment calls, it's based off of God's word and what's true. But we live in a fallen world, controlled by the flesh. This stuff happens all the time, right? This happens all the time. But notice the next part of this, right? Because, because this, this part's important. It's not just saying, okay, all, all impartial judgment is bad, deal with it. It, it kind of gives us something to aspire to, right? Because notice in the next one it says, but those who rebuke the wicked will have delight and a good blessing will come upon them. So here the rebuke, in, in light of the, what's being said, would be the idea of, Instead of saying to a wicked person, you're innocent, a guilty person, you're innocent, it would be the idea that you pronounce them guilty, right? That it's a fair judgment. It's, a, it's, it's the right kind of justice. So it's the court system saying this person is wrong. They're in the wrong. And this type of rebuke to the wicked is delightful. N- not that we should be dancing gleefully, but it's the sense that God is pleased. Society is pleased. It's a good thing to follow the law of the, of the Lord. And think about this in, in the Old Testament even more. They're under the Mosaic Covenant. The law is actually from God. This is God's law, right? These are the things that God says. And when there's a right judgment based off of God's law, with the promise in the Old Testament that if you do what is right, God will bless you physically, it, it will also be a physical delight. Now, we as believers don't enjoy the same promise that they did in Moses' time. We have something much better than they do. We have Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Uh, we, we might not get those physical blessings, but like I said, we have Jesus. So that's way better. That's, that's far superior. But as I've said before, and as we kind of know, isn't, isn't our God a good father? Doesn't he reward his children who do what's right? I think he does. I, I think we can bear that out in Scripture. And so I, I don't think it's wrong to say that God enjoys even when believers execute the right kind of discernment and judgment. And then notice the next part. It says, and good blessing will come upon them. Very true in the Old Testament. I think God enjoys even believers in the New Testament doing this. The point here is that we have the right kind of judgment, that we think about things correctly. We think about things biblically. We start from Scripture. We start from the principles that are found in Scripture. That's an important thing to remember. We look at our church doctrinal statement. Not that our church doctrinal statement is on par with Scripture. We just think this is what Scripture teaches That's a good place to start in thinking, how do I think about the world around me? This is what the Bible teaches, right? This is what it says about sin. This is what it says about God. This is what it says about Christ. And that, and keeping that in mind as we think about situations is very helpful. Having the right kind of discernment and wanting to honor and glorify God is really important. Yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit is really important. If we're not doing those things, we're prone 
we're prone to being partial. Being partial is not good. Now, there's this other thing still. Notice the next verse. It says, whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. A little strange uh, imagery here, but the sense is kind of this. When you consider verse 25, uh, and then you think about it in verse 26, if the idea is a judge is giving the right kind of sentence, then the honest answer would be, if a person is guilty, then a judge is saying, you're guilty. That's not necessarily the most pleasant thing to hear, but it's honest, it's straightforward. And that type of honesty is like a kiss on the lips. Now, this is the only time in the scriptures, or at least here in the least of the book of Proverbs, I have not been able to find an image of just this being like a Norman vernacular thing, a normal common vernacular of people going around going, yeah, they were just kissing each other on the lips. Like, that's a friendship thing. In fact, it's not even a cultural thing. This wasn't even a cultural thing for, for the Israelites. What, one rabbi, uh, kind of interesting, he, uh, he, re- he praised the Mede, O Persians, because he said the only thing that they kiss in public is a husband will kiss his wife's hand in public. They are so good that that's the only type of affection they show in public. So that's kind of the idea. So kissing on the lips is definitely foreign. But the image is, this is like a close, intimate friend. That's the idea. So, so uh, an honest answer is something that breeds friendship, that brings people closer. It's a good thing. That's basically what it is. It's a good thing. It's a thing that builds friendships. Even though it, it, it's speaking of somebody who's, who's guilty uh, under the law. So we need to have a good judgment. right? Now, there's this next thing in verse 27. Notice the next thing in verse 27. Notice what Solomon says. He says, prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. And after that, build your house. So obviously, if you've built your house before you've tended to your garden, you are in sin this morning. I'm joking. That's not what he says. That's not what he means. The sense here of this proverb is to have the right priorities. One thing has to be done before another. In the ancient world, it was vital that you prepared your fields, you went outside, you did work so that you were able to provide for yourself. Once you were able to provide for yourself, because you had your priorities straight, then you could look at doing something a little bit more comforting and luxurious. So the idea here is building a house is something of comfort and luxury. So the idea is... Get done what needs to be done first, have that in priority, and then seek luxury and comfort. It's speaking about having the right priorities, putting the right things first, having the other things secondary. Notice there's no condemnation to building a house. There's no condemnation to luxury. There's no condemnation of even comfort. The condemnation here is... Seeking that first before you're able to provide for yourself. To seek comfort before you can provide. It's, it's, it's having the wrong priority. Do we not live in a culture that puts a premium on luxury and comfort? 
right? We do. I think every culture has done this. I don't think we're unique in the history of the world. But we live at this time, and there's definitely a premium on comfort, premium on luxury. That's not a sin to have. I love my, I love my lazy boy, right? It's comfortable and luxurious. But we need to remember that priorities need to be right. We need to order our priorities right. We, we, we need to have the most important things be the most important things and the minor things be the minor things. We get in trouble when the minor things become the most important and the most important becomes minor. Now the question is, how do we then order our priorities? Here, Solomon has this idea of, well, there's things that need to happen in order to survive, right? They needed to have a field. They needed to be able to grow their own food. You need to be able to provide for yourself. Then think about the other. So I would say, how do we order priorities? I think it first starts with understanding what God has called us to be as believers. What has God called us to be as believers? What is his will for us? Those are very important. We must understand that. I think the principles that are found in scriptures, those are high priorities. Those need to be number one. Then there's certain responsibilities that I have to fulfill, that you have to fulfill. Those become priorities. If you have time left over and money left over to pursue something else, amen. Great. Then do that. That's fine. But those Number one priorities need to be number one. You know, as I was growing up as a, as a young man, I did a lot of men's retreats and went out, and a lot, of, a lot of older guys spoke into my life. Some of it was really good. Some of it was really bad. I remember one particular trip where I rode with a guy from, from, a, from the church I was attending, and every single piece of advice was on how to make more money, how to make more money, how to make more money. And I remember getting off of the vehicle, very appreciative of the man wanting to take time to school me. But, but I remember going, there was really nothing that he said that told me how to live life well. He was talking to me about how to have a good life, not a well-lived life. And I think that's, that's something that we as believers need to really focus on, the well-lived life opposed to the good life. Now, if you get a good life on top of that, amen. Praise the Lord. But who we are and our character and those priorities of being scriptural and being obedient, having those priorities first, that's, that's what's important, right? Times like this where we're together as brothers and sisters, encouraging one another to live for the Lord Jesus, listening to his word, singing songs, this is important. It's not important just so that you can have something to tick off going, I did it this week. This is important because it helps It helps you, encourages you to continue to live for Jesus. That's what's important, right? The way you spend your money demonstrates your priorities. Where you spend your time demonstrates your priorities. Important. This is important. Now notice the next one, right? The next class. Verse 28. It says, Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause, or, or literally without reason or good, good reason. And then it says, and do not deceive with your lips. So the idea here is that a person is willing to go to court 
to speak against his neighbor when his neighbor really doesn't done, done anything wrong, and that a person is willing to lie about one's neighbor. Now you would say, why would somebody be willing to fabricate something against their neighbor, take them to court on purely a lie, thinking this is going to work out? Why would somebody do this? Why would somebody be such a blatant false witness? Notice the next verse. And do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. Oh, that, it's retaliation, right? We shouldn't retaliate against our neighbors. Because this is the type of stuff that retaliation does. Retaliation says, I don't care how I hurt somebody, I'm, I want to hurt them. If that means I have to lie and perjure myself, that's fine. I'm willing to let my, my enemy drive off the cliff with my brand new car. Get him back, right? Get him back. This is, this is some deadly stuff, right? To get to this point, it's a lack of forgiveness, lack of love, lack of understanding of God's word, maybe even a lack of understanding of yourself. This is not seeking the good out of your neighbor. This is wanting to literally take down your neighbor. We've been studying the book of 1 Corinthians. In the book of 1 Corinthians, they had a situation going on in Corinth. We don't exactly know what it is. We don't need to know. But they're taking each other to court inside of the church. And we said, what, what, what does that take for a believer in the Lord to take another believer in the Lord? And the answer is very clear. Fleshliness. Selfishness. A lack of regard for God and his word. A, 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 a lack of understanding of the scriptures. Lack of understanding of the gospel. Lack of understanding of our calling as believers. If I am selfish and self-centered, I'm likely to be this type of person that's going to retaliate. Not love. Not show love. Not want to see you be built up. No, to me it becomes a zero-sum game where I win. And I'm willing to do whatever to win. So don't do this. Don't, don't do this. And, and notice the next part. It says uh, in verse 29, it says, And I will pay the man back for what he has done. I'm, I'm gunning for him. I'll take him to court. I'll lie. I'll perjure myself. But he's going down. As believers, one of the marks of a believer should be Forgiveness. One of the marks of a believer should be that we're not bitter. One of the marks of a believer is that we don't retaliate. But we pray for those who persecute us. We pray for our enemies. One of the marks of a believer is that we want them to find Jesus. And we realize that Jesus is the one that changes human hearts. And so even if they've done me wrong in a serious way, my desire is that they come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and that they live by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's love. We love one another. It's for this very reason that even Paul says in 1 Corinthians, wouldn't it be better, instead of taking somebody to court, to just be wronged? Like, wouldn't that be better? Like, like wouldn't you have more of an opportunity to lead somebody to the Lord to have a conversation with them, to exercise forgiveness and not have bitterness, if you just say, I'll be wronged. 
I mean, think about the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't deserve to go to the cross, but he died. He, he, they lied against him, and he still went to the cross, and he died on the cross for us while we were still his enemies. No bitterness, forgiveness. What's one of the things that he said on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Not that they don't realize that they're crucifying him. They knew they were crucifying him because he's on the cross. They knew that it was out of jealousy that they were crucifying him. I don't think they understood the significance of what they were doing. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's our example, the gospel. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And anyone who places their faith on the person and work of Jesus Christ alone has salvation on the basis of Jesus. So this whole idea of retaliation as a believer is the opposite of the gospel, opposite of the characteristics of a believer. But I will add this one thing. I really love to be bitter. I love it. Oh, there's some cold nights that the heat of bitterness keeps me warm. But I also realize that when I love that bitterness, it's because I'm not walking by the power of the Spirit. And I struggle with forgiveness. And so for me, the easiest thing to do when I'm feeling a sense of bitterness towards somebody is pray for them that the Lord will work in their heart that they might become more like Jesus Christ. It's amazing how just that simple prayer for somebody that I have trouble forgiving works on my heart, softens my heart, cools that fire of bitterness. And then I start saying, you know what? This really isn't about me. This whole game isn't about me. This whole life isn't about me. It's about the honor and glorification of Jesus Christ. And if I have to suffer a little bit of this, and, and, and by me responding in the way that I do might cause them to say, maybe there's something about this Jesus that I've never seen before. Here's this person that's forgiving when there's really no reason that they should be forgiving. They're not bitter when they should have reason to be bitter. Maybe there is something about Jesus. Now, there's another thing. Notice the next thing. It's almost word for word something that we've read earlier in the chapters, but just notice what he says in verse 30. He says, I passed by a field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. So uh, I think this is just a general thing. He's walking by the property of somebody, right? And uh, maybe there's some significance in the sense that we, we find out it's a vineyard. Um, takes a lot of work to upkeep a vineyard, right? You have, to be, you have to be really diligent to do this. So maybe this is something that here's something that's really valuable that this man has, super valuable, something that's supposed to be taken care of and cultivated, and clearly he's not. And notice what it says, and it says, And behold, it was overgrown with thorns, and the ground covered with uh, nettles. If you want to know what this is, you're more than welcome to go search. There is so much ink argued over what are these thorns. Can I be honest with you? If you focus on the thorns and not the point of what Solomon's saying, you might have missed it. Uh, I don't know what these thorns are or what these nettles are, other than it just looks like weeds. And I think that's okay. And notice what it says. It says, And the stone wall was broken down. Uh, that's not good. 
right? That stone walls of your property, right? That's, a, that's protection. And, and so this person is so negligent, so negligent. We're, we're not just talking about somebody who took a day off. I mean, we're talking about someone who took significant time off, who just doesn't care. They've been given this vineyard. They're not out working. They've been, they haven't been working for so long that their stone wall, which is meant to keep out people with swords and spears, is fallen over. Okay, So we're talking about serious neglect, serious time. Okay, And notice what he says in verse uh, 32. He says, then I saw and considered it. And I looked and received instruction. So here's Solomon kind of teaching us something. We might see negative examples even in scripture, in life. A wise person sits there and goes, huh. Starts to think about it. Think about it in light of God's word. And, and thinks about it and then says, and receive the instruction. Now what's the instruction? The instruction isn't, look how bad that person is. The instruction is, look how devastating laziness is, right? So he looks at it and he goes, here's a principle for me to have in my life. Not look how bad that sluggard is, but make sure that I'm not, make sure that I'm one who's diligent. And then, and then he restates something that he said before earlier in the book. He says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So the sense is, it might start off real little. I'll take a day off here, take, off, take a day off here, take a day off here. Eventually, you kind of get into that habit of not working, of laziness. And eventually, guess what happens? Poverty will come in like a robber. It'll take everything you got. It's going to come against you like an armed man. It's going to come in like an army. There's nothing you can do to stop it. So the command, the, the idea then is twofold, right? The first is to be diligent. Remember that the Lord's given us things and we need to be good stewards of the things that he's given us. It's also this principle of we need to look at things going around us and constantly looking for a spiritual lesson for something for us. This is what a wise person does with discernment. So these are the lessons, right? Have the right kind of judgment. Have the right priorities. Respect your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Forgive your neighbor. Don't try to seek vengeance. Recognize your responsibility and your stewardship, right? Be a diligent worker. Don't necessarily just let go of your responsibilities. God's given us things for a reason, and we have to be good stewards of them. I may say this before I end, and I know I'm going to go over but I think that this idea of slothfulness, yes, can, is evident in, in people's lives. And, and, of course, we want to encourage people to go to work, to work hard, not as to men, but as to the Lord. But I will also say this. There's a spiritual component here, too, friends. Is it possible that we could become very slothful in our relationship with the Lord? Is it possible, is it possible that, yeah, our field might be immaculate. Yeah, we have the best grapes and the best-looking vineyard. But spiritually, it's like the jungle. 
Slothfulness works both ways. We've got to be diligent in the things that we need to be diligent. How about this? Let's be diligent in our responsibilities and slothful in those things that don't matter. Right? <laughs> so those are the lessons. You know, I, I was thinking about it this week, and I was thinking th- these are interesting things to say to, to remind us to kind of close out this section of the, the wise sayings of the teachers. And, and there were things that I would have thought would have been said. But then as I was thinking about these, I thought, man, this is almost like every day of my life. It, isn't there something that, that you've had to deal with this past week that dealt with all of this? Having a good judgment call, having the right priorities, being responsible, forgiving one another. It seems like almost every day I've had a situation where I've had to exercise all of these and think about all of these. Let me just give you one. As you all know, I'm trying to go to India to visit Pastor Bahit. There's one little uh, thing that, that if I could lose my salvation, I would have over the Indian consulate. And trying to fill out this visa, I committed the heinous sin, friends, of printing out my visa application on one piece of paper opposed to two. And because of this heinous, heinous sin of which I've repented dearly, they've rejected my visa. So then I had to call the consulate and do all of this. And, and as, I'm, as I'm like getting worked up, getting angry and going, oh, and you know that under the, under the mouth grumbling, I'm, my Bible is literally open to this text. As I'm on the phone with the, with the consulate in India, right? And I'm having to look at this text and remember, oh, yeah, no, I need to be forgiving. I shouldn't be bitter. I need to take care of my responsibilities. I need to have the right kind of judgment. I did technically, I mean, there's no paperwork that says I should have had two pieces of paper, but clearly that's not what they wanted. Have the right kind of judgment, Caleb. Don't, Don't fly off the handle. Think, have clear minds. Don't do anything that's going to hurt the opportunity, right? I've had to think through this. Just as an example, I guarantee you, you're going to leave this place. You're going to go out into the street. You're going to do something this afternoon where you will have to think about one of the principles that we talked about this morning. This is life, right? This is the brilliance of this school that we just went through. This school is hyper-practical. The things you learn, you will use. So... By God's grace, by the influence and empowerment of the Holy Spirit, by spending time in his word, let us live a life that is like Christ, that's discerning, that's loving, that's controlled, has the right kind of judgment, so that we may honor and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord give us both the will and the ability to do all that we heard today. Let's go ahead and let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love, for your mercy, and for your grace that you've lavished upon us in your son, Jesus Christ. We just pray that as we look at, or as we think about these things that your text says, that we will build these into our lives, that we will uh, be wise, discerning believers, seeking to honor and glorify our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
We thank you for the grace and mercy that you've shown us in our life by sending Jesus. And we just pray, Father, that we would be like the text that we saw this morning and that you would strengthen us and help us to become like this. We just pray for safety as we go home. We pray for uh, safety as we then come out again tonight to learn more from your word. We thank you and love you for everything you've given us. In your son's name, amen.